0: Well, we welcome you this morning again uh, to Cross Life Church. Glad you're watching. And I do want to say again for our viewers that we appreciate so much those who have served in our armed services to make our freedoms possible. It's through your sacrifice that we're here today. And I especially want to remember those who have lost a loved one. Uh, in military service, defending our country. Our prayers are with you on this special weekend. I'd like for us to uh, take our Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, title the message today, In His Steps. And let me remind you as you're turning in the Bible and joining with us this morning, uh, just on June 7th is a big day for us. Because we're gonna reopen first stage at least, first step in reopening in the facility where you can come and worship with us. There's certain restrictions on that, and we'll be talking to you more about that as that day approaches. But this morning, the title of the message in his steps, and as we look at 2 Peter, we're looking, or 1 Peter chapter 2, we're we're looking at verses 13 and the rest through the rest of the chapter. But verse 21 is the real key verse to this passage. So I'm going to start in the middle and kind of go both ways. And so here's verse 21. For this, you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Well, the idea here is that you're in a snowstorm and you're just following in someone's footsteps, footprints, all along the way. But what is it talking about there? Is it talking about how there's a a bunch of rules of do's and don'ts that we have to follow in order to get to heaven? Well, well, obviously, by the rest of the Bible and by the passages, particularly in chapter one, that's not true. So what does that really mean? would it surprise you to know that one of the examples we need to follow in Jesus Christ is the fact that he was so submissive to authority in his life is that surprising remember in the garden of gethsemane when he said lord would this if this cup could pass from me i pray that it would be done but not your my will rather but your will be done now when i was uh, younger i used to go to a uh, seminar called basic youth conflicts and this uh, seminar would go all over the country and in atlanta where I attended, we had about 17,000 people every year attend the same seminar going over basically the same material. And one of the things that I was so impressed with the teacher, Bill Gothard, is his teachings on spiritual authority, on surrendering and submitting to the authorities that God has placed over your life. The thesis was basically That you look past the human authority and you look to God knowing that he had the authority over all the other authorities in your life. So by submitting to authority and your human authority, you are really trusting in the Lord. But I know that this has fallen on hard times. A lot of people just don't even want to talk about it. Nobody preaches about it much anymore because we all are individualists. And even our Christianity, my generation is taught that, hey, look, you need a personal Relationship with Jesus Christ, that's the most important thing and it is, but we've taught it sometimes outside the corporate body because even the body of Christ has certain areas of our life that have authority over us. And we'll get to that in just maybe just in just a moment. But then there's government authority and and family authority. In fact, as we look at this passage, we're gonna find out that there's three areas that Peter addresses. One was government, another one was employees or servants. And the third one was that we'll get to next week, the family. And so as he looking at these things, and we wonder to ourselves, yeah, well, where's the, where's the balance in all this? And so often we kind of look to the extremes that maybe aren't so extreme anymore. The woman that's getting beaten by her husband, well, should he, she just keep going back and be submissive and get beaten more and more and more? Of course not. And what about the governments? What about those that are so oppressive over their people? And the human rights violations that we experience all throughout the world. And what about the story, Pastor, you tell about the Romanian girl in communist uh, Romania, where the guards came up, the military came up to a school and made her uh, line up with the rest of the children, and everybody, all the children, had to spit on the Bible. And if they didn't, they'd be shot. She didn't spit on the Bible, she picked it up, kissed the Bible, and she was immediately killed. What about that type of authority? Well, we need to look at that this morning, and we need to see that we need as first choice to submit to the human authorities that are over us. And this has everything to do with the fact that Peter was writing a letter to a a bunch of churches, a lot of churches, including ours, that he was saying that I'm trying to prepare you for the rigors and the trials. And even the persecution that is ahead of you. And spiritual authority has something to do with that. And so as we look at this passage, I want to divide it up really into three points this morning. First of all, I want us to see that it begins with a call. Our sp- having authority in our lives began, begins with a call in our life. And then we find out it's built upon a command. And then finally it's established as all things are by the cross. All things spiritual by the cross of Jesus Christ. So again, I mentioned in verse one, he says, for to you, uh, for to this, you have been called... Now, what does it mean by that? You know, we read this verse and it says, because Christ has suffered for you, he's given you an example to follow in his steps. And we think, well, the example that Jesus is setting for us, obviously, is that we ought to submit through authority just like he did. But this gets us down to the checklist, right? I mean, after all, you've got to submit to authority, you've got to read your Bible, you've got to go to church, you've got to do all these things in order to somehow please God as all religions seem to do. Every religion has a leader. They have a kind of their own kingdom. And then they uh, also have their rules. And you obey these rules and you get uh, favor with God, uh, their God, or you get to go to heaven or whatever their religion teaches. But in the Bible, there's always some, there's something different here, totally different. And so what is this call all about? He says, for to this you have been called. What was for to this? It was in chapter one is the first part of chapter two when he's saying to us that you have been called to be born again by God's spirit. Look with me over in chapter one, verse again, uh, verse three again, as we review this a little bit. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says, for this call, cause, you have been called what? To be born again. To be saved by God, born again in a supernatural way. Now, we've gone over this before in other services, so let me just review real quickly. A born again experience is a point in time experience that has lasting results. That is a spiritual experience because the Holy Spirit... The Spirit of Christ, the third person of the Trinity, comes to live inside your life and heart the very moment you trust him as your Savior and Lord. Ephesians tells us that we are dead in Christ. In other words, we, we don't have a spiritual life. There's a deadness there. There's a, a lack of ability to communicate with God, to have a relationship with God. But Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for our sins. He was resurrected on the third day to prove what he did on the cross was right. He ascended up into heaven and the Bible even said, he says, it's expedient that I go away, that I send my Holy Spirit, my spirit to dwell within your hearts. And that's what he did. And the very moment that we receive Christ, the Bible says that we are saved. So what's his calling all about? Well, that's what we're called to. The Bible says, for no one comes to me unless the father who sent me draws him. That's what it's talking about, the calling, that, that time of life where you just feel the heaviness and the weight of the sin that you've committed against the Lord. You're convicted of it. You, you see it. You see what Jesus has done on the cross for you. And then because of that, you're drawn by him and you make a decision to follow Christ and invite him into your heart. Well, how do you know that? How do you know you've been called and how do you know you've been, you've been born again? Well, when you think about a call, you think about something that's disturbing. When you're called, for example, on the phone. Now, I have a, a, a smartphone right here, and we all have our little phones, and we don't have any cords except to plug them in, maybe in the evening so we can charge them. But in a day... We used to have phones that actually sat on a table or hung on a wall. Now those were loud phones. This can get loud depending on how uh, how you turn up the ringer. But in these old phones, yes, the ones with a cord on them, the winding cord, you could find that when it rang, I don't care if you are watching TV, you were sleeping in the living room, you were in bed at night, it startled you, it disturbed you, and that's what the call of God is. It's startling. It's disturbing. Have you been disturbed? Like that before. And then once you come to know Christ, there is a conversion experience. The Bible compares it to being born, but as we've said before, but also to a wedding, to being married. You know, we're, we're the bride of Christ. And so what happens when you and I are saved? Well, it's like a wedding. You're there. You've walked the aisle. And one moment, you're single. But then the pastor, or the justice of the peace, says, I now pronounce you man and wife. And at that moment in time, you are now married. One moment single, another moment married. And it all happened in like a split second. Well, that's what it means to be born again. Now somebody says, well, I'm not sure if I'm born again or not. Well, let me ask you, are you married? You know, if I were to ask you today, if you're married and you said, well, mm, Pastor, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm, I'm just not sure if I'm married or not. Well, then you either don't understand anything about marriage or you're not married or maybe a little bit of both, right? And so you, you understand that there's a point in time. This is a point in time. You're born again. God's spirit comes to live inside of you. And because of that, the Bible says you have a changed life. Now, the very beginning of this, he says... Uh, He says, set this example for you to follow in his steps. What did he do? Look in verse 13, be subject or be surrendered or be submissive. What did we do the very moment we trusted Christ? We did what Jesus did in the garden. We surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. We surrendered to him. It wasn't just forgiveness of sins. Yes, you, you received that the very moment that you were saved, but you also changed God's. You were no longer the master of your life. You're no longer saying, Lord, my will, my will, my will. No, you're saying, Lord, I want your will to be done. I want you to be the master of my life. And so the very first act of you and I becoming a Christian is one of submission to the power and the authority of God. Now, Colossians 2, 6 tells us, as you have received the Lord Jesus, so walk you in him. So what's it saying here in this passage that we're about to get to? It's saying in the same way you receive Christ, you walk that way. How do we walk that way? We walk in his steps. What kind of steps are we talking about? Steps of submission to authority in our life. As we look at this passage, we can find that it's built, this commandment, or rather this this, uh, idea of walking with the Lord is built on a commandment. And that commandment again is found in verse 13. Let's look at it. It says, be subject for the Lord, the Lord's sake. How do, do you, why are you subject? Well, you're subject, you're submissive for the Lord's sake. So it's benefiting God. It's glorifying God in some way because you're looking, you're trusting him. Remember the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God for he that comes to God, must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. One of the ways we show trust in God is we acknowledge the fact that he's put authority, human authority in our lives for a specific reason. And so therefore, when we trust them, we also are truly trusting the Lord and bringing glory to his name. So it's for the Lord's sake. Then he says this, for every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Now, this word submission means to get into the proper rank. It's a military term. Sort of got, you know, in your lane. Get in your lane. That kind of thing. And so, and, and it's very unpopular today because we want to be the boss of our own life. You know, people say, well, you know, I, I dream the time that I can maybe retire. I'm going to go into business for myself. Why? why? Why would you want to do that? Why would I want to be my own boss? Everybody kind of wants to be their own boss. No one wants to submit to authority to anyone because to do that, what you're really saying is I'm giving up my freedom. I no longer can decide certain things for myself if I have to listen to someone else's authority over my life. So everybody wants to be their own boss. But for too many then, authority means a lack of freedom, just simply a lack of freedom in our life. And then When we think about the the dictators that we've had in the world, in fact, one of the reasons why authority fell on such hard times is because of people like Hitler and Mussolini and Stalin and um, Khrushchev and uh, Castro and all the dictators of the world. They want power, and they want power over other people's lives without really caring about them. There was a book written by a French author back in the 1930s called An Authoritative Personality. And in this book, it, it really designing a personality that says they want power and authority over your life. And then with World War II coming along with the dictators there, three different ones uh, in three different countries, uh, combating the armed forces of America and, their, and the allied forces, we can see where then in the 60s, this book and this concept that this book taught became very, very popular. And it So for you and I, maybe not as popular, you know, the the Marlboro man just being the freedom guy and just having all the kind of freedom you want, just get on a motorcycle and and, and join a motorcycle gang and just ride all throughout the country, you know, and all these movies that were coming about, about rebelling against authority and doing your own thing and rebel without a cause, you know, back in the 19, late 1950s. And, and the, the music that came out, rebellious type music, all this was to say, you be your own person. You go your own way. Nobody can tell you what to do. And it's really active in the church as well. When um, one of my kids were growing up, he had a, uh, there was an adult here in the, in the church that told him, uh, he used to go to our church at least, uh, told him, you don't need to listen to your dad. You don't need to listen to your mom. You're spiritual yourself. You've got your own relationship with God. Well, that's just so wrong. And I'll share with you why in just a moment. But we look at this and we ask ourselves the question, well, why submit to authority? I think if we were to look at it and understand why we needed to do it, maybe we could bring ourselves to do it a little bit more, a little bit better. Look in verse 14. First of all, as we see this, he says, we need to present ourselves to human authority for law and order for progress to be made. Look in verse 14. He says, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. He says, look, when, when things happen in life, you need order in life. You need to put some people maybe in prison to protect the rest of society, but you need law. You need order. You need things cooperating together to move forward. Uh, for example, uh, we just had a wonderful music set by our... Um, by our um, praise band. And as they were singing, you know, they, they all blended together. Everything sounded real good. But suppose the drummer CJ just decided, you know, I want to go to the beat of a different song. And then Tim had his thing, you know, that he maybe planned on, but Patrick goes over thinking, I'm going to try a new key. You know, that key's too low. I'm going to go a little bit higher. And so everybody's singing in a different key. Everybody's playing in a different key. It would be chaotic. It'd be awful. In fact, we'd be better off not to have music at that point. And what about, I don't know, the traffic laws here? Somebody says, well, I think our city is, we, we're a free spirit and we don't obey the stop signs. We don't obey the traffic laws. We go right through the red lights. And if we want to stop at the green light because uh, we want to fix our hair or something, we, we do that. You know, it just doesn't matter. I'm going to do my own thing. No, you have to have laws in order to have law and order. When you go into a group and you don't have a leader, it's chaotic. You have to have unity in the body of Christ. You have to have unity in the government. You have to have unity in order to get something done and have law and order in your world. And then we find also it's to grow in wisdom and character. One of the stories that uh, is pretty prevalent in the New Testament, in the book of Luke, a lot of people preach on this, talk about that, talk about this, is where Jesus was in the synagogue at 12 years old and his parents couldn't find him. And they, they couldn't find him. And they, when they finally found him, they asked him the question, well, where you been? And basically he said, I'm, I'm about my father's business. Wouldn't you know that? Wouldn't you know that I was right here doing what he wanted me to do? Well, the parents basically said, hey, look, you, you know, you're going to have to follow us. You're going to have to come home. Well, what did Jesus do? Well, he stayed in the synagogue, right? I mean, after all, he is the son of God. I mean, a lot of teenagers today, and when I was a teenager, I thought I knew more than what my parents do, but my parents did, but here was Jesus. He did know more than Joseph and Mary. He did know more than the the Jewish leaders of his day. He was God in the flesh, but he left the synagogue. He followed his parents. The Bible says he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. And it says this in Luke 2, 52, as he came away from the synagogue and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man authority. Back in uh, about 20, 25 years ago, there was um, a country in Africa that had an overpopulation of elephants and they didn't know what to do about it because it really, the, uh, the whole jungle was being upset with so many elephants there. And so they decided that they would have to thin the herd and they began to kill off the older elephants. Well, they did that, but then they found out bad, bad move. It was the older ele- elephants, the grandfathers of the group that were teaching the younger ones how to live in the jungle and how to leave everything else alone where there wouldn't be danger for them and danger for everybody else. And the elephants now were running through the jungle rampant and they were killing off vegetation, killing other animals, just running right away. They didn't know how to act. You see, you and I need this for wisdom, for character building in our life. Then there's protection as well. In verse 14, again, it says, he says, to praise of those who are doing good, but also to put the evil in prison in order to protect ourselves, protect society. We have traffic laws to protect us. We have laws against killing, against stealing to protect us. The Bible tells a story in the Old Testament about King Saul, the first king of Israel, and he'd already done something to really upset God in rebellion. And God said, I'm going to take the kingdom away from your family in the future and give it to a, a man after my own heart, which turned out to be David. But during this time, Saul was about to go into battle, but the priest, Samuel, was supposed to come and give a sacrifice. And Samuel was late and they waited and they waited and they waited. And finally his armies were getting kind of scattered. He got scared and he just made the sacrifice himself a direct violation of the law of God and the direction of God. Here's what Samuel told Saul when everything was over. He says, for rebellion is the sin of divination and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry, presumption or stubbornness, because you have rejected the word of the King, the Lord, He has also rejected you from being king. Wow, Just out of rebellion. I mean, don't we rebel a lot? Teenagers rebel, Husbands and wives rebel against one another we rebel against people at the job and we quit jobs. I mean, this is just something we do, right? One of the things that was taught, basically the conflicts, was the whole idea of the umbrella of protection. And here's God with a big canopy, big umbrella, and then there's the husband and the, and the wife, and then there's the kids. Now, when the kids, when the, when the children, whether it be young children, teenagers, when they rebel against the Lord, they take themselves out of the authority of their parents, and therefore, the authority of God. And it opens themselves, they open themselves up to the powers and realm of Satan, because what it says here is, is divination, that's our word for witchcraft, And so basically what he's saying is when you aren't rebelling against the authority that God has placed over you, it's like you're out practicing witchcraft and you open yourself up to attacks of Satan that you wouldn't normally uh, feel and have. You're opening yourself up to the power and realm of Satan and his influence over your life when you rebel against the Lord. And so we, we have it and said, so, well, look, I'm, I'm spiritual. I'm like, you know, your son was, you know, spiritual guy. I read about a guy that was 18 man, young man, 18 years old called, felt like he was called to the ministry. And I tell you this story, but because people have come to me times and time and time again with the same type of story. Well, basically he says, look, I'm called to the ministry. but my, my mom and dad, not believers, want me to go to a university and learn something else first and then go to seminary. And I don't want to do that. I want to cut to the chase and go straight to a Christian college. What should he do? Well, according to the scriptures, his parents were there to give authority over his life. What should he do? He should go to the university. Okay, I'm just telling you, I would never never advise someone to rebel against their parents. There's something about, I'm not sure about moms. I'm not a mom, I'm a dad. Something about dads I've learned as I now have grown children. And that is that um, I want them, I want my children as well as other dads want their children to be in a position to make a living for themselves when they're gone. And that is an insecure thing among dads, they, they just want to make sure that everybody can make it on their own before they die off the scene. And oftentimes, a, a, a parent that does not know the Lord says, oh, you're called to the ministry. You go right ahead. My parents were both saved. They were all for me, uh, leaving the University of Georgia and going to a Bible college to, to study for the ministry. They were, they were for that. And so, but there's others that are not. And so you appeal, and you find out why, and you discuss that with your parents. But if, if they're steadfast in it, you follow your parents' lead. That's what the Bible is saying. They're, they're there to protect you. But what about direction? And centurion was approaching Jesus, said, look, I have servant, and um, they're, they're dying. If, you, if you'll just come to my house. And Jesus said, oh, just go your way. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to come and follow you. And the centurion said, look, I'm a soldier and I know I'm in the military. I know that when I tell somebody to do something, they're going to do it. And I know that you have power over all healing and all demonic forces. If you just say the word, it's going to be done. Jesus' response to that was, wow, I've never seen this great a faith, not all, not in all of Israel, all of Israel. What was he saying here? He's saying, you understand. You understand how God uses human authority. Gothard has said this, the size of our God is greatly determined by our ability to see how he is able to work through those in authority over us. And he, he gives three examples here. He says, the government." He says, first of all, he says, pray for emperors. Look in verse seven, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. He says before that, live as people who are free, not using your freedom to cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. And he says, honor those who are in authority over you. Even praying for the king, the emperor. Have you prayed for president Trump lately? As a Republican, have you prayed? Did you pray for president Obama when he was the president? It says to pray for them in Romans 13. It tells us to be subject to him, to uh, the people over. It says, no, no, you don't understand. Now, now, President Trump's this and this and this, and Obama was this and this and this. America is this, this bad compared to Rome. 60 million slaves in Rome. They were beasts at heart selfish to the core. And yet God used them because the Bible says in Galatians 4, in the fullness of time Jesus came, what was was so important about him coming during this time? What was the plan? Well, Rome conquered the world. There was no other place to conquer. Therefore, there was peace. And Jesus would go village to village, town to town, city to city, preaching, healing, healing without any interference of war around him. See, God used it. So what are some of the the purposes here? He says in verse 15, going back, he says, first of all, for doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. You're gonna be in a position as a testimony and a witness for Jesus Christ to tell others about Jesus. And he says, in the Roman Empire, if you were to say, hey, we're against the emperor now, we're, we've got our own God. We're not going to follow the emperor. How could you win those Roman people to the Lord? How could you do that? It's not that they were worshiping the emperor. They just let it alone. They let it go. And they lived for Jesus under the, under the laws that were placed before them so they would be free to live for Jesus and to preach the gospel of Christ. You say, well, aren't there exceptions? I mean, look at the COVID-19 situation. You know, closing churches all around America, man, it, it's just awful that they're saying that we are not essential. Let me say this. We are essential. If we were not essential, I'd get into another line of work because I want to be essential. And many of you feel the same way. The church is essential. But the question is, what is the government really asking at least the Floridian churches to do? I don't know about California, New York. You know, I, I'm not there. I've heard only the news reports and some of those are kind of conflicting. But in Florida, they said, look, close up the churches. Why? Well, we don't don't want you to preach the gospel. Nope, wasn't about that at all. Well, we don't want you to minister to people. Nope, wasn't that at all. We don't want you to to preach the Bible to anyone. Nope, wasn't that at all either. What they're saying is, look, we need you to close up because your buildings for a while because people are getting infected with this virus and church services, you're gonna be hugging one another, close to one another. We're just doing it for safety reasons. There are three reasons in the Bible where God says, look, you can disobey authority. One, they won't let you preach the gospel. Remember Acts chapter four when uh, they told him, don't preach the gospel. And Peter did it anyway and he got thrown into prison. You got to be willing to suffer the consequences if you're going to go against authority as well, by the way. The second reason was disobey the scripture. You have to do something, maybe on your job or or the government's telling you to do something. You say, I can't do that. Disobeying the the scripture. The third thing is to save a life. When Rahab hid hid the Jewish spies in her house before they came in to, to conquer Jericho, she was disobeying the law to save a life that's where revolutions come in. That's where we've got situations all over the world where people are just dying and killing people. They're imprisoning people. They're they're making the human rights violations are atrocious. And then there's a rebellion within the country to say, we're not going to take it anymore. Well, you're protecting the life of those who would be killed in the future. But there's three reasons, and that's the only ones I can find. And so what is is Peter telling us here? He's saying, look, you choose, you choose submission first, not second. You choose it number one to the government, but also number one in the business world, employees as well. Verse 18, servants be subject to your own masters with all respect. Not only do to do the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. He says, even if your employer is unjust in this way, it's talking about slaves, 60 million slaves in the Roman empire. We don't have that today. I, I do believe there's an application here to employer, the employer and employee relationship where it says, for this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Now to make a long story short, it's this. When you're going, you, you work for an employer and you're working for them, you are to submit to the authority that they have in your life. Looking past that authority to God, are they asking you to do something unscriptural? Well, that's different. But see, even then you've got to be consistent. You can say, well, I'm not going to work on Sunday. Well, yeah, but you, you kind of cheated on your time clock here and I heard you tell that dirty joke over there and you're really not consistent with this. I, um, in my last church, I had a man in my church who was vice president of a small power company, uh, there in Atlanta. His name was Tom and he called me up one day and he said, pastor, I really need to talk to you about something. If you don't mind, um, meeting up with me during lunch. So we had lunch and he told me, he said, they're asking me to do something at work. The president is asking me to do some things that I can't do. It's unethical. It's against scripture. And so I've written out my resignation letter. I'm going to go over his head because I already talked to him. And now I'm going to the CEO because I think maybe he's involved. And I'm just going to tell him, these are the things I cannot do. And that's why I'm resigning today. And so we prayed about it. Prayed that God would open up the CEO's eyes to the truth. He went the next day, talked to him, handed his letter of resignation and the CEO looked puzzled, and he said, let me check this out first. I'm not going to accept it today. Let me check it out first. Before the end of the week, he had checked out the president, found out he was doing unethical things, fired him, and made Tom the president of the company. Now, Tom couldn't have done that if, if the CEO would have looked at him and said, look, Tom, I know you, and you don't live by any other scriptural principles. Why these? I think you're picking and choosing here. No, Tom was consistent in his walk with God. And it made it silenced his critics. It silenced them. Listen, as an employee, listen to me very carefully. Your goal as an employee is to do whatever you can do in the Lord to make your employer successful. Did you hear me right? To make them successful. Of course, turn around's fair play. Turnabouts fair play. I think employers can do the same as well, but that's not this passage. As an employee, you're to do everything you can within the Lord and the Bible to make your employer a success. When he sees that in you, he's going to trust you. And when you come to him with an appeal and say, I can't do this, he is going to more than listen to you. He says, there's government authority and there's also business authority. But he says, all this is based on, as I close in one thing, and that is the cross Verse 22, he committed no sin, neither, de- neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins. And then he starts quoting the Old Testament chapters of uh, really Isaiah chapter 53. He says, he himself bore our sins in our body and his body on the tree that he might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. We are healed for we are straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Jesus set the example. Jesus went to the garden of Gethsemane and he said, Lord, would this, this cup pass from me, but then he says, no, not my will anymore your will be done. And at the cross, he died there for our sins. And because he died for our sins, we have the opportunity to be called of God and have the Holy Spirit come to live inside of our heart to make a difference in our life. God's gonna bless it. I remember, um, I probably told this story half a dozen times, but we'll make it an even seven, uh, you know, perfect number. And uh, when we were in seminary, uh, I had already learned this evangelism explosion presentation on how to reach somebody for the Lord. I, in fact, I, I, I was a pastor before that for two and a half years. And for about a year and a half, two years, we'd used that in our church. And all I did was read the book and I taught the people, but I wasn't certified. Okay. I hadn't been through the proper training. So when we got to South Cliff Baptist Church in Fort Worth, Texas, decided to join the group. First thing we did, and boy, there was like a 200 people involved in that. Pam was on one team. My wife, Pam, was on one team. I was on another team. She got a really good trainer, uh, very experienced, knew how to lead somebody to the Lord, knew how to train people, was a personal witness themselves. But by the time they got to me, I was, they were kind of out of trainers. And they pulled out a junior trainee, but he had been through the program before, but not really, uh, was not comfortable in presenting the gospel or knocking on a door and things like that. And so uh, Pam would go out and man, they would witness somebody almost every Monday night. Um, we would go out and almost never share the gospel, maybe one or two times at the most. So I remember the whole semester, uh, it was almost like he'd knock on the door and apologize for not going in, but that was his inexperience. And I knew that. And, and I was trying to be patient with it. But one night, we were just driving around, not stopping anywhere, just couldn't find this place or whatever. And I almost wanted just to say, look, just let me out of the car. You know, what a waste of time. But I didn't because God was speaking to me and so said, just be patient. A couple of weeks later, we were in this room and um, rehabilitation type center. This young man had um, been in an um, automobile, no, motorcycle accident actually, and really tore himself up pretty bad. He was there, they ministered to him, we were talking to him, and I noticed around the curtain, there was a, I noticed some legs kind of hanging out there, you know, some uh, black legs, and so I walked around, I looked, and there was an African American gentleman there. And as it turns out, the nurse was there, and she told me, yeah, he'd had a stroke and uh, having trouble recovering, but she said, she can, he can understand everything you say. Well, I said, well, good. I've got, a captive, I've got a captive audience You know that couldn't even talk back to me. And so I thought, I'm going to share Christ with him. I shared Christ with him. And uh, I asked him, I said, did you pray that prayer? And he nodded. And I could see in his eyes that he was so sincere about his decision. Two weeks later, he passed away. If I had been rebellious, if I'd have said, look, Pam, you go. I'm not going back. It's just a waste of my time. I would have never gotten to that point. So you see... Our first choice needs to be submission to the authority over us. Sometimes we just can't because it breaks the scripture. Sometimes we just have to take the second alternative. But the first choice ought to always be submission to those in authority that God has placed over us. Because when we know that, we are trusting, honoring God by trusting him. Knowing that he has control over everyone in our life. What about you today? You say as a Christian, you know, that's always my first choice. Or maybe you're saying, oh, wow, you know, this is the first time I've heard this and I need to start applying this to your life. Where could you apply it the best? Is it your government? Is it your employer? Could you make him or her the most successful person? Who is it in your life? Somebody in the family that we'll be talking about next week? How can you submit to authority that would honor Christ and better your life, better you with the guidance of your life to handle the trials that are going to come up in your life? And what about you that have never received Christ? Maybe you've never been had that call. You've never had that wake up. You've never been startled by God speaking to your heart. Maybe today is the day that you would trust Christ as your Savior and Lord. And you can do that by praying this prayer with me, a prayer I prayed something like it many years ago. But if you pray this prayer and mean it in your heart, I believe you're answering the call of salvation for your life, beginning a whole new journey for you. Right there in the quietness of your home, would you just bow your head right now and would you pray with me this prayer? Lord God, Lord God, Thank you so much for loving me. Thank you for going to the cross and paying for my sins. Thank you for calling me to salvation today. I answer the call as I invite you into my heart. For the Bible says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's what I want to be. I want to be born again. I want to be saved even right now. And I'll pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.